I'm not really someone who can easily uh, be persuaded into believing something or just fall for something right away. The only time that I can be that way is really just with the exception of myself. That it doesn't take very much for me to convince myself of anything about myself. (laughs) That it only takes just a second, a short train of thought, to arrive at a conclusion that generally will benefit me quite well. And I don't think I'm really alone in that at all. That really we sitting by ourselves or with others and thinking of what we just did was maybe a good idea. We'll search until we find exactly what we're looking for to prove that it was a good idea. I mean, this is, this is the very basis of that phrase that comes out, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. It's a simple phrase that can easily convince us of what we have done stays with us and remain hidden. It doesn't take very long for us to convince ourselves of our righteousness, does it? It doesn't take us very long to convince ourselves of our own orthodoxy. It doesn't take us very long to consider ourselves to be the judge of what is right, what is true, the way it should be. I'm guessing as I say that, you know exactly what I mean. It doesn't take us very long at all. Paul knew this to be the exact case. As he begins his talk in Romans chapter 4, he begins to talk about boasting. And now most of us know enough that we do not boast. Well, we do not boast openly. We do not boast in such a way that We want to put airs about ourselves, but rather, if we do any boasting, it is in a quiet way. It's in a way that we can convince those around us that that we really know what we're talking about. That we are the judge we've convinced ourselves to be. That we really are the righteous that we've made ourselves out to be. The world itself does everything it can to convince us that this line of thinking is very true. That you really are the one in command. That you really are the one who is in the judgment seat. That you really are as righteous as you think yourself to be. That you really are the one who can stand up in the middle of society and tell everybody else the way it should be. Is that not how we've gotten to where we are right now? Maybe Paul, in all of his apostolic wisdom, was looking millennia ahead and seeing the way the world will progress. We often think about and we take this section of Romans 4 to speak just plainly about Abraham or about David and maybe even a section of it slimly about our own lives. But Paul begins by saying, well, if Abraham, 
is justified and righteous by his works, he has room to boast, but not actually before God. And if Abraham was sitting there and thinking within his own mind, he would be able to convince himself of that very fact that he did have room to boast in front of God, in front of others. But Paul, as he begins to answer the question and make the next remark, he starts with saying, but what does Scripture say? What does Scripture say? For us as Christians, we know that before we begin to look at our own hearts, to look at our own righteousness, to look at our own judgments, first we must look at Scripture. Because there we find a voice outside of ourselves. There we find the voice of God. There we find His Word that speaks truth, not just about God Himself, but about who we are. Because within those Scriptures we learn, no, we have nothing to boast. No, We are not the righteous we've considered ourselves to be. No. I am not as orthodox as I think I am. No. I am not that righteous. I have nothing to boast before God or before others. So let us search Scripture and see. Abraham is described in this section as the father of all, meaning the father of that Jewish nation and now the father of us in faith. Many of you probably easily remember the Sunday school song about Father Abraham, I'm sure. He had many sons. And who's counted among those sons? You are one of them, and so am I. All through that stretch of faith in Judaism and in the Jewish people, they looked up to Abraham. Oftentimes they found the way they were able to stand up is to say, well, I am a child of Abraham. I am a child of Moses. But on his own, not even Abraham could stand. But it is only the righteousness that had been credited to him by God. That it is only through that very gift that God had given him that he could stand. That we find in scriptures that it is by the grace of God that we are able to even stand before Him. We know that this faith of ours that has been granted to us through Jesus Christ brings us immense gift. An immense gift that doesn't let us sit here in our pews casting judgment and righteousness about but sitting here in our pews as ones who receive. Ones who walk through the door 
knowing that they have nothing to boast about, knowing that they have nothing to bring into this building that could stand in honor among the brethren. Just simply come here to receive the very gift we need. The gift of God's favor, the gift of His love, the gift of His salvation. Now I'm guessing, knowing the majority of you quite well, that the struggle you walked in here with today was was not the real struggle of boasting. And not even boasting before the Lord. Most of you have been trained up very well and very hard within the Lutheran faith. But there is a struggle that we often have. And a struggle that really comes out uh, roaring its head during Lent. And that is also confronted in Scripture. Because in this very same section, it speaks to what might be at the heart of our struggle. After he describes David and the blessing he receives from God, Paul quotes, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That though we come in here as ones who have nothing to bring in and can only receive, what we receive brings us blessing and joy. That even during this time and this season of reflection, remembering our own sins, what we also remember is the salvation we receive and the blessing it is to us. That that quotation is a song and a song of joy coming from the heart who knows it has received the righteousness of God. Coming from the heart that at one time bore the weight of their own sin and what was credited to them was not their sin but was a righteousness won for them who took that sin upon himself. Remember later in Scripture, we also read coming out of Hebrews 12. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who with the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Taking our sin upon Him for the joy of the cross. So that upon receiving forgiveness, what is it that we know? We actually know joy. We know freedom and forgiveness. And that brings to us joy. A common prayer within our liturgy during this time of year is, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Because blessed are those whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. 
That's not something we convince ourselves of. That's something that God has spoken to you. It's something that has come to you in that reception of his gifts. Nicholas Zinzendorf once wrote in a commentary on this very section of Romans, Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are my glorious dress. Midst all the flaming worlds, these dresses of ours are arrayed, and it's with joy that I lift up my head. By the gifts of God, by the gift of his righteousness we have received, we lift our heads up in joy. And even in this time of reflection, we continue to sing praise for this very gift. Amen.